Bible worm, Bible worm, reading the Bible with Bible worm. Welcome to Bible Worm, getting to the core of the biblical text. I'm Dr. Amy Robertson, Director of Lifelong Learning and Music at Congregation Or Hadash in Sandy Springs, Georgia. And I'm Dr. Robert Williamson, Professor of Religious Studies at Hendricks College and Theologian in Residence of Canvas Community in Little Rock, Arkansas. We're here every week to discuss the biblical text, both as biblical scholars and as people of faith, one Jewish and one Christian. Today we read Mark chapter 10, verses 17 through 31 sometimes referred to in our biblical section headings as a rich man's question. But that word rich can sometimes let us hide from the tug of this passage on each of us. What is it about our attachment to our possessions, however many or few we may have? What is it about the things that help us feel secure and self-sufficient in this world that makes it so difficult to really dwell in the We wonder if this text is more of a call into a life of vulnerability and interdependence, and the ways in which possessions are a barrier to that, than a statement about wealth on its own. But either way, it is a mind-bendingly hard ask for us humans, as hard as getting a camel through the eye of a needle. Thanks for being with us. Hey, Bobby, how are you? Hey, Amy. This morning I had one of those mornings where I was having this really delightful dream. I can't remember what it was about, but it was nice. And then all of a sudden I realized I had overslept by an hour and five minutes <laughs> and that my daughter- You had? I like had. really or in the dream? No, no, for real. Like my dream oh, was really nice. And no. the reason my dream was so nice was because I was supposed to have been up for an hour. And oh. then my daughter, I woke up 30 minutes before my daughter had to be at school and she was. everybody mm-hmm. was still asleep. And so I had this morning where- like in the first two minutes I was awake, I had made breakfast for both my kids and like packed oh, wow. lunches. It was like zero to a hundred. Uh-huh. And so I'm still sort of recovering from that. You know what I mean? Like uh-huh. Uh-huh. It's a shocking yeah. way to get the day started. That is a shock. <laughs> were, the, were the kids stressed about this or no? I don't think they really even understood necessarily what That's was good. happening. Like my daughter was a little grumpy when we tried to get her move in, but then she was fine yeah. after that. So. It's always a little hectic it's around just, my house. Yeah. And I'm often awake for like maybe 45 minutes before they are anyway. So for them, it wasn't that much shorter than a normal morning. But but for you, it really was. Yes. And so the rest of yes. my day has felt like trying to catch up with myself. Yeah. Uh-huh. I'm sorry. That sounds like a difficult way to start the morning. It was. I don't quite know how it happened either. So I'm gonna have to I'm gonna have to make some sort of new arrangements. About my alarm system. Perhaps if you gave up all of your possessions, <laughs> I, I was going to say it would be easier or maybe it would be the least of your problems. I was going to say if I gave up I my know. alarms, then I wouldn't. <laughs> then I you would, wouldn't even know. Yeah. Do you ever do that thing? This is what I was doing is I was dreaming that I had a reason to turn off my alarm but not get up. So it was uh, entirely logical. Uh-huh. I was aware that my alarms were going off, but I had convinced myself, my subconscious mm-hmm. self had convinced my pre-conscious self that everything's fine. It was fine. This all makes good sense. <laughs> yeah. Oh. Anyway, maybe I'll give up my possessions and we'll see. We'll see if that's any better. I don't, I don't I think don't that think would, be, would be, I don't think it'd be easier. I think it'd be no. worse. As you may have guessed, Bobby, the reason I'm talking about giving up possessions is that the topic's going to come up in today's reading. What? Is that what we were doing? I know. I'm very sneaky. I'm very sneaky. We are reading Mark chapter 10, verses 17 to 31 today. Mm -hmm. You ready to start? Let's do it. Okay. I am reading from the NRSV. As he was setting out on a journey, a man ran up and knelt before him and asked him, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good but God alone. You know the commandments. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness. You shall not defraud. Honor your father and mother. He said to him, Teacher, I have kept all these since my youth. Jesus, looking at him, loved him and said, 
You lack one thing. Go sell what you own and give the money to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. When he heard this, he was shocked and went away grieving, for he had many possessions. Oh, that Jesus. (sighs) Yeah. Amy, one thing that seems important about this text for people who are familiar with it is that that last moment that you just read was the first time we knew this guy was rich, right? We, a lot of times we mm. call this, even in the CEB, the heading of this section is a rich man's question. Mm-hmm. But in, actually in the narrative, you don't know he's rich until that very last moment. He went away grieving because he was rich. And so mm-hmm. like there's a drop in there that's supposed to like catch you off guard, I think, but it doesn't catch you off guard if you're already like, oh yeah, this is a story about a rich man. Right, right, right. I don't know what difference that makes, but it seems important, like the narrative style is surprise. The narrative style is surprise. And I think even just hearing that, hearing the words of that heading, so like, I would not say I am rich, right? but I do have many possessions. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. That's it. That's right. Yeah, the headings can get us in a little trouble. I think sometimes. No, that you're, that point you're making is important too, and because because it's he had many possessions, not he was rich, and yeah. so that, those are those ring differently when you say I had not. That has made this story hit even closer to home for me than I wish that it that it might. Mm-hmm. Having talked mm-hmm. about the inadequacy of my alarm alarming system only moments yeah. ago. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, so clearly I want to talk about, about, well, we'll just begin at the beginning of this section. Yes. Bobby, I am so curious about Jesus's initial sort of Mm -hmm. bristling at being called good. Yeah. What do you think is going on? Well, even prior to that is the question of why does the man start that way? Mm. Good teacher, what must I do? Do you have thoughts about that? Like, what's the man trying to do? I guess my best read of it, and and I think it can actually be flipped positively or negatively, is that, like, he runs up to him and he kneels before him and he compliments him. Yeah. So, read positively, it seems like he really is sort of humbling himself and raising up this teacher who he really admires. Yeah. You could also read it as, you know, sort of like brown nosing or, right. you know, trying to butter him up in some way. Although I don't, I don't know why it's not like he's asking for a favor or a favor is a bad word. He's not really asking for anything. He's not, he's asking a question, but he's not asking for help. Right. So I think um, the way that you read the man sort of affects the way that I read mm-hmm, Jesus. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So one way of reading it is if the, if the man is just being genuine in his asking, Jesus's objection could be read sort of Christologically, which gets us into a whole conversation about how does Mark think about the relationship between Jesus and God, which, Mm -hmm. I mean, that's a whole conversation unto itself. But nothing that's been given to us in Mark's gospel necessarily has made it clear that Mark thinks Jesus is God. Mm -hmm. Jesus is Mm -hmm. Messiah Jesus is son of God, which can be understood as having a special relationship to God in the Mm -hmm. way that kings did. He's son of man, which we've talked about, could mean he's human. It could also refer him to that passage in Daniel 7, which is about some sort of divine angelic being, but not about God. And so Jesus could here be saying, hey, 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 that's not like, don't confuse me with God. Mm-hmm. In sort of a way that's protecting that sort of Jewish idea from Deuteronomy that God is one. God is God alone. Yeah. So we could read Jesus that way. I just don't know what to do with that. Like, there's just such a complicated, convoluted way of getting, like, what is Mark's Christology? <laughs> it seems like yeah. it takes us. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right, right, right in that little question. But even, I guess... Part of what I feel there is is coming from the perspective of, well, I don't know, maybe I'm not being fair. What I was going to say is coming from the perspective of the Hebrew Bible, it is not true that only God is good. That is not oh. the perspective of the Hebrew Bible. Creation is good. Oh, yeah, baby Moses good is called good. Yeah. You know, like things can be good. 
So I don't know if this is indicating some kind of shift, you know, as and then, of course, a lot happens between Bo- baby Moses and now. <laughs> yeah. So so maybe it is a statement about that, you know, fundamental uh, corruption of of earthly systems. No, that's really helpful because I was sort of washing over all of that and saying, well, if you call somebody good, you're confusing them with God. Because Jesus, that's sort of how Jesus responds here. Like, why are you, why are you calling yeah. me good? Only God is good. So you're commenting about that. Like, why does Jesus think only God is good? Could lead us to the other way of reading the man's question, which is in an honor-shame culture, which we are existing in, this man has given Jesus a flattering Mm -hmm. honorific. Mm -hmm. You are a good teacher so that Jesus will give him back some sort of flattering honorific, Mm -hmm. which would have been the cultural expectation at the Mm -hmm. time. If someone honors Mm -hmm. you publicly, you honor them back publicly. So he's wanting Jesus to tell him that he's good. And Jesus is saying, I, I'm not going to tell you that because Interesting. And the way he does it is kind of deflect, like only God is good. And so from the very beginning, then we have Jesus not being critical of this guy, but at least sort of, I'm not going to make it easy for you to claim goodness mm-hmm. because I'm not even going to claim it for myself. Right. And I reject that whole system again. Right. Like I, I reject, we have rejected the hierarchies of the, you know, earthly systems and, and we are rejecting this right. sort of as part of that. I think I, I think I have persuaded myself that that's the more productive way to read this. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I don't know and if I, I persuaded do, anyone else, but I mean, <laughs> I'm very convinced by me. No, I, I like that. <laughs> I think that makes sense. I think that makes sense. Not just, yeah, I think that makes sense. And to the guy's credit, the next time he says teacher, he does not say good. He, That's true. he does That's true. he dutifully says like, okay, you yeah. know, we're going to do this the way you want to do it. That's fine. I think that's important too cuz this guy is not a bad dude, right? He's not he, a bad dude. He might have I, I like the way you sort of said that as he is participating in the system mm-hmm. that is the system that has been given to him. He's not being manipulative. Mm-hmm. And as soon as he's Jesus has said I'm not playing the system game, he says, "Okay, I like, I like mm-hmm. that way of reading it. Cause it, yeah, I like that way of reading it. So Jesus lists these, you know, com- the big commandments to him. Yeah. Can we talk, yeah. can we talk about what he asks for? He asks yeah. for eternal life. I'm just interested. Like, what do you think he's wanting to know about? I have not the foggiest <laughs> idea. I really don't know. Like, yeah. I don't know. I, I have no idea. Yeah. What do you think? What do you think he's talking about? Well, I think his question here, the way that it's framed eternal life is about life after death, life in mm-hmm. life in the beyond. Mm-hmm. And so that's what he's, that's his horizon is I want to know when this life is over, how do I get to live on in the next life? And that's what he's thinking about, which is going to be important later when we see how Jesus responds to him. But I think it's it's interesting that his issue is not about like present things, but his mm-hmm. horizon is the sort of eschatological future. Yeah. It's funny that I didn't even really pause on that. <laughs> is your is the verb in the NRSV inherit mm-hmm. eternal life? Yes. The CEB has obtain. I really like inherit better. I think it's closer to the Greek. And it also echoes, if you are a Hebrew scripture reader, about the mm-hmm. inheritance of the land and things mm-hmm. that come to you because you are a member of the community. Yeah. And he's asking it as a not as a community member, what am I going to inherit? But his question actually is kind of more, what do I myself as an individual need to do to mm-hmm. get this thing? Mm-hmm. But he's asking it in the language of inheritance, which sort of maybe should point out to us that he's asked a wrong-headed question originally. An inheritance is something that you receive because of the community you belong to, mm. not because of some action you take. Yeah, I'm just thinking about some of the language that we use in the Jewish community about people who have died and how we hope that they will be sort of tied up in the bounds of life, like they are still tied up in the life of the community. Mm. And I, I don't I don't know what he means by this question at this time exactly. Yeah. But now I want to learn. But first I want to ask you this other question. Yeah. Jesus gives these commandments that he should follow. He says, I've been, I have been good on these. Yeah. 
And then Jesus, looking at him, loved him. Yeah. What is your translation there? This translation is also, Jesus looked at him carefully and loved him. Mm-hmm. The word love there is agapao, mm-hmm. which is one of the primary words for love in the New Testament. And it's the only time in Mark's gospel that Jesus is said to love anybody. And it's this man Wow! in this moment. So here's my question, Bobby. Do you read that feeling of love as sort of pointing backwards? Like he has just said he's kept all these commandments and now God feels, no, sorry, now Jesus feels this wash of love for him? Mm-hmm. Or do you see it as pointing forward like, I'm going to lovingly tell you, I'm going to tell you with love this really hard yes. thing. Yes. That's such an interesting way to ask that question. I mean, I think, so I think this is a genuine statement of Jesus's love for the man. I don't think it's like pity, which I'm sort of tempted to read it as pity sometimes. But I think mm-hmm. Jesus genuinely feels love for him. One way of thinking about it is we've been talking about commandments and now Jesus is enacting the love, like love your neighbor. Jesus Mm -hmm. is enacting the sort of summation of the commandments. You could also read it as Jesus loves people even when they're not living up to the standard. Maybe, Maybe Jesus is hoping that he will do this thing that he's about to ask him. It's important just in terms of Jesus's attitude that he's not, he's not sort of saying, ha ha, you think you're great, but mm-hmm. you're not. No, there's no right, sense of like happiness or joy in mm-hmm. being able to correct somebody, which sometimes is a temptation among us. I think mm-hmm. it is a, in a genuine love for him. He says, he says it. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure if I've if I've actually answered your question. What are you thinking about that? I don't know. I mean, part of it is a uh, part of how I guess I read it is it's a softening of what felt like you know a kind of bristling from mm. Jesus at the beginning of this text. Yeah, and I and maybe some of that comes from a recognition that okay, it's true this guy's not going to be able to live up to the thing that Jesus is going to put on the table right now, but he has. It sounds like he has been doing the big things that he would have known. Judaism does not ask you to give up all your possessions. Yeah. That is not a thing. Yeah. So I guess I see it as both sort of an appreciation that a a sort of softness that he has tried within the systems that he knows. Yeah. And also that this is going to be hard for him to hear. I like that way of reading it. Amy, there's one detail that's easy to miss in the Jesus' recitation of the commandments. Mm. So you recognize them, right, as the what we sometimes call mm-hmm. the second tablet of the commandments. How do you orient toward your neighbor? Don't commit murder. Don't commit adultery. Don't steal. Don't give false testimony. Honor your father and mother. We know all those. But there's a commandment in there that says, do not defraud. Isn't that, how, isn't that what you read? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's not actually a commandment. Mm. It's interesting because Matthew and Luke, when they tell this story, they get rid of that one. And so Mark has dropped in this word as a commandment, apostoresis, which I think do not defraud is a good way of understanding it. I was reading Ched Meyer's book, Binding the Strong Man. He's following some other scholars, but he points out that if you follow that through biblical Greek and also through classical Greek, that term means in James 5, 4, it literally means withholding the wages of laborers. That's We're talking about mm. economic fraud, defraudment. Mm-hmm. And so I don't know quite what you do with that, but I think Jesus may have been sort of subtly saying, Look, if you have become wealthy, 
You have done it by defrauding your neighbor. Even mm -hmm. if you don't know that's what you've been doing. Now, maybe we're, maybe, maybe we're reading a little far here. I don't know. But if you follow that line of thinking, then the, what the man is saying is, I'm following the letter of the law. Or, at least, or maybe that's, that's a sort of judgy way to say it. I'm following the law as best I understand it, the Torah. And Jesus is maybe coming back to say, if you truly were following the Torah, you would not be a man who has many possessions, but you would be a person in this way that Deuteronomy seems to envision who shares what you have with the, with the poor and with the widow and the orphan and the stranger. So mm -hmm. technically, maybe you followed all these things since your youth, but you haven't actually inhabited the principles of love of neighbor, which then frames Jesus loving him in this interesting, like it shifts that a mm. little bit. Like, what does it mean to love someone else? I'm not sure I said that very well. Do you no, I mean, I, I understand what you're saying. You know, I intentionally did not go back and say like, are these the 10 commandments? In part, because I don't, I mean, I don't know what what translation Jesus was reading. You know, like, I, I don't know how much this sort of, like, literal bookness of things was uh, operative in this time. So it, it feels to me like a big and important Jewish teaching not to defraud. Like, a lot of ink is spilled on it. It's true that it's not in the Ten Commandments. But I guess I, I read it as sort of, as part of that. And I could see it as a way of Jesus, like double checking, like, are you defrauding? Saying it as a suggestion that he must be defrauding. I'm not sure if I can go all the way there, but I understand yeah. what you're saying. I understand what you're saying. No, I appreciate your pushing back on that. The, the, one of the reasons that I like it is because it catches me in a way that you were sort of joking about earlier as, you know, we were talking about him being a person who has many mm. possessions. And you were saying, I have many possessions, but I'm not rich. And thinking about, you know, when you think like, okay, I am not somebody who does these other things. I don't commit adultery or steal or lie mm -hmm. in court. I honor my parents. So I've done all those things. Like I'm doing great. But when you put that one on the table, don't defraud others. Suddenly I'm thinking about where does my wealth come from and what are the inequities that I participate in that result in me feeling per perfectly good about like, I earn a legitimate living, right? You know, I'm not doing anything that's not allowed, yeah. but maybe I'm actually living on at the expense of somebody else, even though I don't realize it. If you read it that way, then the, what you're saying about it's, a, it's actually an essential Jewish teaching not to do that. Maybe exactly the point is that there is this larger vision of how the community should exist. And unless you're paying attention to all of that and not just to the commandments that are sort of in the list, then mm -hmm. it would be easy to think you're living, you're a good person. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah. Hi, my name is John Weicker and I am the associate pastor for youth and their families at First Presbyterian Church of Durham, North Carolina. I am a Bible Worm supporter at the Bible Worm supporter level, $48 per year. And I do that not because we're on the narrative lectionary or even because I preach that often, although when I do preach and the texts line up, I certainly use the podcast. I actually use Bible Worm as my own personal devotion for the week. I'm someone who misses the deep theology and close reading of texts that I got to do a lot of in seminary. And in Bobby and Amy's work, I found that again. And so I listen on Monday mornings on my way over to church and then Monday afternoons on the way back as a way to prepare for the week, to do ministry, and to love Jesus and serve. I hope you'll join me in becoming a Bible Worm supporter too. And now back to this week's episode. Okay, I do want to talk more about how we should feel about this guy and why such an earnest and it seems like fairly committed or intending to be committed Jewish yeah. fellow would just be like, oh, well, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> sucks for me. But let me read the next little chunk of text because I think it can inform. I think we can talk about that all as a. Yeah. 
big pile. Okay. (laughs) So I'm picking up in verse 23. Then Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, how hard it will be for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. And the disciples were perplexed at these words, but Jesus said to them again, children, how hard it is to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. They were greatly astounded and said to one another, then who can be saved? Jesus looked at them and said, for mortals, it is impossible, but not for God. For God, all things are possible. This is what I wrote down, ready to ask you. Wealth is a wealth is a stumbling block. Discuss. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that gets it. That gets to it. Yeah. I mean, so let me ask you first reading this, like how it seems like the disciples relate to this guy. Mm-hmm. Mostly. Mm-hmm. Does that I don't know, does that surprise you? Do you relate to that guy? Do readers relate to this guy? Are we I supposed think- to relate to him? I think we're supposed to relate to him, especially, I mean, I think, because the disciples are going to get a little bit off the hook in the last section of this text. Yeah, yeah. But I do think this person, especially for somebody like, positioned in the world like me, I think we're supposed to relate to this guy and empathize with him and not think of ourselves as sort of Mm -hmm. better than him, but use him as a way of asking about our own relationship to the poor to possessions, to mm-hmm. the commandments, mm-hmm. to the kingdom of God. And so I think it, I think it's right both to empathize with him and also to be like, oh my gosh, like that is such a impossible thing to do. Yeah. Which is exactly how the disciples reply. Right, right. I have a question that I think might be a little bit obnoxious. Like I think it makes me look bad. So I'm just going to say it anyway. So – we have often noted in our conversations that people that society has not given any status or honor, like the folks who are really pressed to the margins are usually the ones or are often the ones who are most open to religious teachings um, and change in right. part, probably because they have no real investment in the status quo because the right. status quo is not serving them. Right. But I feel like that way of thinking about it is very practical. Not it's not a very theological read. It's sort of like why should they why should they be invested in the empire because the empire is not paying off for them. Right. Is there a different layer you can add to that that I don't or, or should we is is it that simple? Is it that like we become so enmeshed in the systems of the empire when they pay off for us? And that's precisely why we have to refuse them. And so if you were never given any of those things in the first place, you're actually lucky because you don't have to refuse them. That's such an interesting way of asking that question, Amy, because it like it really is totally possible. And I mean, I'm guilty of this sometimes of romanticizing poverty and mm. saying the poor are so amazing. And I mean, when you talk to people, say at Canvas community, like a lot of them, they would they would love it if they had enough possessions that Jesus yes. would tell them they needed yes. to give some away. Yes. You know? And so maybe we're really talking about a human thing that we sort of want to be successful in these kind of ways that the, that the empire has given to us. And it's not really about rich and poor, but you have to worry about it more if you're rich because you actually do have the possessions that are getting mm-hmm. in the way. Mm-hmm. And so that's and kind of the right way. to hold on to them. Right, right, right. So a poor person who then suddenly had stuff, maybe they would have exactly the same problem, but that's not something they have to yeah. deal with right now because yeah. it's not their situation. Yeah. One of the things that's happened here that I think is really important is the man asked a question about eternal life mm-hmm. and Jesus responds with a conversation about the kingdom of God. And those are sort of the same thing, but I think they're not the same thing. Mm, tell me more about that. Eternal life, I think, is an eschatological horizon. What do I do about life after death? God's kingdom, I think, in Mark's usage, has that eschatological after death dimension, but it also bridges back into this life. And so it is possible to participate in God's kingdom here and now. Mm -hmm. And what that means 
is embodying in some way or another this blessed community that's envisioned by Jesus, which I think is very similar to what Deuteronomy has in mind, Mm -hmm. in which people live together and they care for each other and they share possessions and they depend on one another and they depend on God for the next day. And you literally, if you have a lot of possessions, it is very difficult to participate in that kind of God's kingdom because you're mm-hmm. self-sufficient and self-reliant. That's right. You That's, don't need anybody mm. else. Yeah, I love talking about that in terms of self-sufficiency because it makes it, it, it helps get to the why of what is so troubling about yes. possessions. Yes. So some of it might be you've become selfish or, you know, money becomes an abstraction to you and you'd stop thinking about what you need and just start amassing things. And all, you know, all of that, may be true, but it almost has this sense of like, now you're a hedonist and you're just, you're gluttonous and like it it can attach all these other things to it, but it doesn't have to go all the way there. As you're saying, if you are, if you are genuinely able to meet all your needs on your own, you probably just will. Right. And that's, man, that is a, as like a modern American that it, that stings. Yes. Because mm-hmm. we are so raised to be able to, to the best of our ability, meet our own needs. Yes. And that's saying this is actually a, a problem because it changes the fabric of society. Yes. And now we see why Jesus has been off-footed by this guy since the very beginning, which is he was, he was asking a question about the next life mm. because he thought he was doing fine in this one, right? He, he wasn't concerned about what do I need to do. Right. To live in now, community now. Right. And that's right. the same thing that happens to us when we're we feel self-sufficient. Mm-hmm. We don't worry about living in that community. We get we get focused in the wrong place. Mm-hmm. So when when the text goes on to say how hard it is to enter the kingdom of God, are you suggesting? I mean, I think what I hear you suggesting is the kingdom of God is not just what happens later. It's you can you can enter the kingdom of God now. Right. By cr- by living into this system, but you can't you can't do it if you're self sufficient and if you have a bunch of possessions, if you have access to all of these things, it's it's difficult. It's very difficult to intertwine your life with the community. That's exactly how I read it. And whether Mark also or Jesus in Mark's gospel also has the eschatological in mind, I'm I'm a little less clear. Like mm-hmm. maybe he's talking about also living in the blessed afterlife. Mm -hmm. But I think he is certainly talking about what you just said. You could be in the kingdom of heaven on like in its, in breaking into the current Mm -hmm. world, you could be there right now, Mm -hmm. but wealth gets in the way because of self-sufficiency. And this idea of the camel going through the eye of the needle, people have tried to interpret that and massage that in all Mm -hmm. sorts of ways, Mm -hmm. including a very famous interpretation that there was a, gate in the wall of Jerusalem that was known as the eye of the needle Mm -hmm. and that the camel could go through it, but it had to take off all its luggage or whatever. Mm -hmm. And which turns out that was generated in the ninth century by a Christian interpreter, a a monk, I guess. Mm. And so it has no real bearing on like anything in actuality. So, Mm. So what Jesus is actually saying is it's like trying to stuff a camel through the literal Mm -hmm. eye of a literal needle which is mm. not possible. And then what he said is that's what it's like if you have possessions. And so this is the way that I read it is if you are self-reliant, if, if you have enough to be self-reliant, you cannot enter into the blessed community because you will depend on yourself and your own means rather than depending on the community, which in turn depends on God. Yeah. Oh, man. So we're really not just talking about, like, what I would say is wealth. We're talking about self-sufficiency. I think so. That's a really high bar. (laughs) One of the reasons I think that is because if I think it's about wealth, it's where you started us again. If I think about wealth, I think I'm not wealthy. It's not us. That's right. And I don't have to read this text. Seriously. When it's self-sufficiency, I think, well, I am self-sufficient. Yes. At least I I think I am. Yeah. So then when this text goes on to say God makes it possible or mm. yes for God all things are possible mm-hmm. 
God makes what possible? That like do you read this as, you know, okay, we are not going to we are imperfect, but but hopefully there is a possibility of being saved anyway. And so God makes that possible. God saves the imperfect. Or God can shift and support us such that we can do the thing that seems impossible to us now or some combination of those things. And those are the two kind of readings that suggest themselves to me. One of them is more about eternal life. Mm-hmm. I actually really like that reading is that when it comes to things eternal, it is not possible for us to achieve that for ourselves. This is very Presbyterian of me, by the way. It's not possible for us to achieve that for ourselves. And so God makes it possible for us, even for those like this self-sufficient man, even though he seems not to have been able to to do it himself, in the end of time, God will, in the way that Jesus looked on him lovingly, God will also look on him lovingly. And so he will be able to enter into the eternal kingdom anyway. Mm -hmm. I I like that reading. The other one... I think is more useful for me, which is to say that if we were to rely on God and to actually trust in God, God would make it possible for us to live in the kingdom here and now. It's that we try to do it on our own and think, can I muster the strength to give away all my stuff? And what one really needs to do is to invest trust in God. And Mm. once you really trust in God, then you realize You don't need all that stuff. Mm -hmm. If you take those two readings together, which I think is, I mean, that's usually my favorite thing to do, Mm -hmm. is Jesus has given us a really high bar for what we do here and now and says, if you truly trusted in God, you could do this thing. And also has said, if it turns out you don't get it right, your eternal soul is not in peril. God covers over the shortcomings and loves you even though you've not Mm -hmm. been able to do this thing. I don't know. That's probably a very Presbyterian reading of me as we, we do the best we can now and God covers over the shortcomings later. I think, I think that makes sense. And I especially like, I especially like the second point you made that was like, if you, if you can actually for real, real put your trust in God, yeah, you will realize you don't need the possession. Yes. And so yes. it won't feel like I'm sacrificing terribly you know, in order for some, in order to get into the kingdom of heaven later or whatever, like it will actually feel right and good and natural. Yeah. Not that it's hard to, it's hard to imagine how much faith that would take, but I can get behind that in theory. If you, like I have occasionally pondered living in communal community life in my, in my time Mm-hmm. And I've never actually really done it. I did it sort of for a year when I was in seminary. But places like a Catholic worker house or a mm-hmm. kibbutz in Israel mm-hmm. or mm-hmm. places like this where you really do just invest yourself in a group of people and rely on each other and the and the goodness of people to support you. There is a real beauty to a life like that that you can't access in other ways. And so, yeah, so I, I love what you're saying about it it becomes not giving up something. It becomes living into this other beautiful way of life that is not available to you until yeah. you trust. Yeah. You're right. No, and, and when you talk about it in terms of a kibbutz, like, oh yeah, I could I could see a parallel life in which that, that would have happened. Mm-hmm. Although again, it's very easy for me to romanticize, not actually- mm-hmm. Not actually having done it. Not yeah. actually being there. Yeah. Amy, when we met with the Bible Room Collaborative, our liturgist, Terry, asked a question that I have never thought about. And the question was, how do you know that this guy didn't give up all his possessions? I was like, that is so interesting. All we actually know is he went away sad in this moment. But we mm-hmm. don't know what he did that tomorrow is, or next correct. week or the month later. That's true. And that opened up the possibility for me that when I read this text, I feel sad. (laughs) Like this guy felt sad. But that doesn't mean that I will never be able to 
embrace the teaching here. It just means that when I heard it, it was really hard for me. Mm. So maybe he doesn't ever do it and Jesus yeah. loves him anyway. Maybe Jesus has lovingly told him he needs to do this thing and he's very sad about it. He can't immediately do it, but maybe he's going to muster it up sometime in the yeah. future. I really like that. It, it opened up a different kind of way of thinking about this for me. I like that too. I like that a lot. And it it's reminding me of, gosh, I can't remember which Jewish thinker it was, but uh, it was a Jewish thinker who was sort of growing in their observance of mitzvot. And when people would ask if they if he kept certain certain commandments, certain mitzvot, uh, that he did not, he would always say, not yet. Mm. Not, you know, like, we're, right. I'm, you have to grow into it. This is a yeah. big thing. This is a, a big new thing that this guy just heard. So, yeah, maybe he needed a minute. I like that. Okay, should we move on to see what, what else the disciples have to say about this? Let's do. Okay, so I'm picking up in verse 28. Peter began to say to him, Look, we have left everything and followed you. Jesus said, truly, I tell you, there is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or fields for my sake and for the sake of the good news who will not receive a hundredfold now in this age, houses, brothers and sisters, mothers and children and fields with persecutions and in the age to come eternal life but many who are first will be last and the last will be first. Wow. Verse 29 and 30 is just like one big sentence, isn't it? <laughs> it is. Yeah. yeah. There was, yeah, there was yeah. a lot. There was a lot in there. Okay. First of all, Peter, mm. is he disagreeing that with the idea that this is impossible by saying we've done what you asked or just saying, like, I want, I want credit. Like, does that question make sense? Like, is he really sort of thinking about, I, I, I want my reward. <laughs> I want my reward. Or do you think it's deeper than that? That's such an interesting way to frame that. I hadn't really thought about it like that before. I do think I read Peter as sort of saying, like, hello, <laughs> you know. <laughs> Uh, you said this thing yeah. is impossible, but in fact, here we are. You know, Peter and James and John have walked away from their boats. They did not, at least in narrative form, give away their boats in the way that Jesus mm -hmm. told this man to do. But I do think there's something in which Peter is saying, isn't it true that we're not just like that guy? We actually have done some something. Don't lump us all in together. Mm. I don't know. How how did you read Peter when you got to this line? I mean, I think I first read him possibly unfairly as, yeah, sort of don't lump us all together. Like, wait a minute. Right. Like, we, we did that. <laughs> and I almost, yeah. So, so I don't know if it comes from a place of like, I want I want credit slash we are we're the most faithful we won the faith contest. <laughs> yeah. Or or if it could possibly be like kind of pushing back on what Jesus has just said. Like you said humans can't do this, but maybe maybe humans can do this. Like if we can do it, maybe it's not impossible. Mm. I like that way of reading it, Amy. And then, you know it sort of nuances the thing a little bit because Peter and James and John didn't do this mm -hmm. until Jesus walked along the lake shore and said, "That's right. come follow me and I'll make you fish for people. And so in fact, what Jesus has just said, it's not possible for you, but it's possible with God. Mm -hmm. Maybe that actually turns out to be true mm -hmm. here. And mm -hmm. Peter sort of taking credit for it. And Jesus is acknowledging that. But at the same time, like what Peter and James and John have done is follow Jesus. Jesus made it possible for them to do this thing. That's right. That's right. And when Jesus invited them into that life, you know, it was a whole different situation than the conversation with this guy that he was just right. talking to. But Jesus didn't lead with, why don't you sell all your stuff? <laughs> right. <laughs> I, I, 
like there was an offer on the on the on the table of like I will I can help you find this life of meaning, you know, out in the world and sort of as a side effect of that you have to you have to leave your systems of stability. You're pointing out an important distinction between these two like Peter and James and John, they left their stuff. The man is told to give away his stuff. And these are sort of different requirements for what it means to follow Jesus. I'm curious about that and whether there is some acknowledgement there that the rich, who we have called the rich man, mm-hmm. actually had acquired his possessions in a way that was defrauding of the poor. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right, if it points back to that idea. Mm-hmm. And so there's a, there's a retribution or a, Retribution isn't what I exactly mean, but... Yeah, but in order to balance things out, Mm -hmm. yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. I'm not sure that that's necessarily relevant at this exact moment in this text, but there is a distinction between what the disciples have done and what Jesus asked this guy to do. Yeah. Now, when Jesus recounts what people have given up to follow him, there are, I mean, there are possessions in there, there are houses, but it seems less to be about possessions, maybe because it now includes family members. Mm-hmm. How do you hold these how do you hold these things together? What Jesus says they have given up versus the conversation we were having about possessions. Mm-hmm. It's so interesting because it reads like when you say what you've given up, it reads really harshly. You gave up your family. Mm-hmm. And then when Jesus talks about what you will receive a hundredfold, he again talks about family. Mm-hmm. So the second time it feels really nice. Like, oh, I'm going to get a community if I follow Jesus. The first time it feels like this kind of wrenching of I've got to give up my family if I'm going to follow Jesus. I mean, I think there's a truth to it that when you make a decision like this to follow God radically, that you can't expect that everyone that you love is going to be able to come with you when you do it. Mm. And so it is going to require the severing of some relationships. Yeah. Which is really painful for me to think about. I think it's really true, but Mm -hmm. I think it's, to me that's more difficult than giving up my morning alarm. I like the way you said that, Bobby, because it, it makes me think that it wasn't, where it opens the possibility that it's not necessarily that you must cut off connections with your family, which I had first seen it in, like, maybe those are the things that help you feel situated and secure in life. Like, maybe maybe you must give them up. Mm-hmm. But I feel like the possibility you're opening is that you must be willing to give them up. Right. Like, you can't compromise on this other stuff in order to maintain relationships with people who don't want to go into that life. Right. There's no, there's no compromise position offered. But it's not, it's not giving them up for the sake of giving them up. I think that's the right way to read it. And if you want to you know, press on that a little bit, like Peter and Andrew are brothers, and James and John mm-hmm. are brothers, mm-hmm. and they're following Jesus mm-hmm. together. And so it's not you're not allowed to have these family relationships. Yeah. It's if you follow on this way, it is likely to disrupt your family relationships Mm -hmm. and you have to be willing to accept Mm -hmm. that. Mm -hmm. I was a little surprised. Although what you, what you were just saying maybe makes me, makes this a little easier for me. But when Jesus lists things that they will receive in this lifetime, Mm a hundredfold of first, really a list of the things that they had given up which I'm, I'm used to Jesus saying what you're going to get in this lifetime is not, you're going to suffer. That's what you, right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. and he does kind of he tuck, tosses the, it in there. He yeah. kind of tucks the persecutions in there. Yeah. You can almost miss them if you're not paying attention. Yeah. But it's not just that in this iteration of it. Like it really is, as you were saying earlier, like the idea that you can live into the kingdom of God while you're here on this earth in this body really is is alive here. Absolutely. Jesus is sort of making explicit here that thing I was trying to tease out earlier about the eternal life question that the man asked yeah. and the kingdom of God response that Jesus gave. Here, Jesus puts it all in one sentence. In this life, you're going to get all of this stuff back. You're going to give up two brothers, but you're going to join, 
into this community where you have 200 brothers. Mm -hmm. And when you live this communal life, now everybody shares the, shares all the things and how much richer is that than you having your possessions and your people. And then at the end, he says, and also in the world to come, in the age to come, eternal life. And so he brings that question back all the way here at the end mm -hmm. that the man asked at the very beginning. He says, oh yeah, you'll get that too. But it's, it's sort of mm. almost an afterthought. It's almost an afterthought. Yeah. I really like that, that it's not, it is there, but this is not just a means to that end. Exactly. And a lot of times Christians in my experience get it backwards and we, we approach the way the man started, which is what do I have to do to go to heaven? Mm -hmm. And Jesus is constantly redirecting from that question here very clearly. The right question is about how do you live in blessed community now? Mm. Oh yeah, and then heaven. That's that's yeah. a thing too. And there will be heaven, right? There will. You're not taking that away. You're not saying you shouldn't, you know, hope for that, yeah. but you shouldn't focus on that. Yeah. In the CEB, that with harassment or with persecutions is a little a little parenthetical right at the end. Mm. You should get all these <laughs> things: houses, brothers, sisters, mothers, children, farms parentheses, with harassment. <laughs> that's really funny. Yeah. I think that's really funny. Can you talk a little bit about what you think? <laughs> like, he could have just not said that part. I mean, but I feel like if he hadn't said that part, I wouldn't even know how to fit this in with, you know, the take up your cross and follow me. Yeah. Like, there there has been a clear message throughout that the, the choice to enter into this life is a threat to the powers of the world and you will pay for that. Yeah. For me, the, the interesting thing here is that it had always, I guess I had sort of internalized the message that like you really are, you're taking on mostly suffering now. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and this is saying, oh, but it's, but there's so much good. Yes. You know, yes, there is suffering and there's so much good. It's not suffering for the sake of suffering, as we were right, talking about right, last time. Right. It is this rich life of communal sharing that you are given, and that's going to result in suffering. Mm -hmm. It's so weird to me that this, I, this sort of communal living and sharing and redistribution produces suffering, and that that's what Jesus thinks is going to happen. But then when you think about, like, very much as a modern American, this is the conversation is anything that smacks of like sharing with people things that they did not earn for themselves right. results in you being critiqued pretty sharply. Maybe not in suffering in the way Jesus had in mind, but mm -hmm. people are kind of nervous about this idea, antagonistic to this idea that people could just get together and yeah. mutually depend on one another instead of earning it ourselves. Right. I mean, it's a radical it would, idea in the time of it, Jesus and now. Yes, I mean, it would it would overturn the cart of capitalism. To put a fine point on it, <laughs> I mean, yes. it really it really would. Yeah. Yeah. It really would. If I didn't go out and buy things every time I needed them, but had a whole community of people from whom I could borrow and who could borrow from me, and or maybe it wasn't even like however we want to put it, but that that we didn't have to have a bunch of self sufficient you know, microcosms that were all trying to do their own stuff like that. Capitalism's built on that. As was the Roman Empire. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So the last verse of this harkens back to a section we read earlier where they were talking about the, the first and the last and, yes. and, and whatnot. Here, I really like that it adds many who are first will be last. Oh, yeah. And the last will be first. I just like that little nuance to it. Like it's not it's not some kind of automatic system that just turns everything on its head every 20 minutes, you know? Like it's Yeah. <laughs> is there anything you'd want to say about that verse that. in this context or with the addition of many or like he's already said that. Why is he saying it again? Yeah, it does strike you differently in this context than it did in that Ash Wednesday text when the disciples were arguing about greatness and that we were talking about the sort of destabilizing of the hierarchies. I really, mm -hmm. it strikes me differently here. Like it, it, 
it came a little bit out of the blue to me. Like, I didn't know that's what we were talking about. But I like what you're saying about many who are first will be last and many who are last will be first. Because I think we're, we're, I mean, the goal here, the context is this beloved community of communal sharing. And it seems to me like what's now being said is the goal is to create this sort of shared space. And that's sort of more accessible to people who are at the lower rungs of the current social order because they don't have a, the barriers of participating in that are lower, but it opens the possibility that some like this, that some like this rich man might actually be able to make their way mm. into that community too. Mm-hmm. So it's not simply a flipping, but I, who can find their way in and that that, that opportunity is available to everybody. Mm-hmm. You kind of resisted that first and last, last and first when we read it previously because it sounded still sounded hierarchical to you. So I'm curious what how you read this one. Oh, that's a good, yeah, I sure did resist it because it sounded hierarchical. And then, yeah, and then we said, oh, he's meeting them where they are, which was nice. It's nice. Yeah. Good <laughs> yeah, pedagogical yeah. method. I mean, in a way, I feel like that, first of all, I think just the inclusion of many here really changes the way it reads to me. It's not just like, I'm going to turn over the apple cart and everything, you know, like I'm just going to switch everything from what it was to the opposite. But I, I think it, I mean, this is still a text that started with, as you were saying, that sense of hierarchy and honor and, you know, honor and shame and wealth and possessions So I think it makes sense for it to circle back here. You know, the last conversation that we had about it wasn't so much about money. Here, it was more about money. Right. But somehow the inclusion of many to me just, it sounds to me more like things things will be different. Like the way that, that everything stacks out in the world as you know it has no bearing on Maybe I shouldn't say it has no bearing. I'm taking it a little too far. It, it, I don't know. I like I like that it has loosened a little bit what exactly the translation of the current yeah. order of things is to what will be yeah. after. And here the goal is to make your way into this beloved community. So the, the first ones who arrive in the community and the last ones is different than like who's in the front of the line and who's yeah. in the back of the line or on top of the ladder and the bottom of the ladder. Mm. I like that too, that we're not talking about a ranking. We're talking about who it's easy, who it's easier for, and right. so they'll get in faster. Right. Oh, I like that a lot. Instead of first and last, like number one, the best. Right. More like, yeah. Early arrivals. Early arrivals, yeah. Whereas our, our resourced gentleman from earlier – Maybe he will get there, yeah. but it, he's going to have to do some more work. Right. Oh, Bobby, you I, you opened up a lot of stuff in this text for me that I was not particularly thinking about. I should probably say that. So, yeah, I'm glad. I'm so I'm glad that's true. <laughs> and also, I have been very much informed by Ched Meyer's book, Binding the Strong Man, mm. in my thinking about what this text is. And so... That's a good resource for people who might want to read further. Good. Well, gratitude also to him then, Chad Myers. What is, what's coming up first for you now, Bobby? <laughs> Amy, this text evokes so much for me. I think it's such a beautiful text and one that is very convicting for me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. The thing I really love in this text is what we were talking about just right at the end, that the vision Jesus has is about beloved community here and now in which people do not rely on themselves or their own capacities, but share with each other in a community that's formed not around sort of our biological connections or our neighborhood connections or our socioeconomic connections, but about people who have chosen to come on this way And I love that vision. And I I so much want to be able to participate in that. And and I find that the statement that a person who is self-sufficient 
is impossible for them to enter into that kind of community. Mm-hmm. I have found that largely to be true for myself. Yes. When I think about like young Williamson, when I was 25 and I was in seminary, like I was going to go live with Ched Myers at the Catholic Worker House in LA and I was going to give up my wealth and I was going to live, you know, live a life on the streets and do all these things. And then I went to Oxford and I got a degree and then, you know, got a tenured track position at Hendrix and then I married and then I had children and Mm. like I don't want to put my spouse or my children I don't want to assume that that's the kind of life that they want to live just because that's the kind of life I wanted to live and so for very good reasons I have compromised those principles throughout my life and I think that's true for for many of us yeah and so I find ways of approximating this, like founding Mercy Church, where I spend spent a few days a week, or now at Canvas Community, where I spend a couple of hours a week in beloved community with people who are different than I am. But it is very different than what I think Jesus has in mind here. So I like to hold that out there. It's like, this is the vision, and this is where I should be striving, and also recognizing the ways in which I make conscious choices not to go there for reasons that seem good to me, but are also difficult, you know, as a, as a, as a follower. Yeah. The thing that I then really appreciate is the bit about what is impossible for you is possible for God having an eschatological dimension to it, which is in my envisioning, my job is to try as best I can to embody this, community, the kingdom of heaven on earth. And then to the degree that I fail to do that, God's mercy will cover over the difference when we're Mm -hmm. talking about things eternal. And so I don't have to go around feeling like I'm like, uh, like Jesus looks at this man with love, right? And Jesus looks at me with love in the same way, even though I'm not fully able to do what Jesus is asking. And so I take comfort in that, even while I realize that I'm not as good a follower of Jesus as one might wish to be. Mm. That was a lot and very personal. This is one of those texts, you know, you started out by saying it's convicting. Like, I don't know how to not get personal with this yeah. text. And I think what has been most helpful to me in this conversation and what I think translates the best sort of to my life and my tradition is the point you made that it's not about it's not about the poverty. It's about the vulnerability. Yes. And and constantly choosing to give up your control over situations. And, you know, even the fact that this guy knew all these commandments and had dutifully kept them, like, that's very good. And also, it's like he, it's like someone gave him the list of things to do. Yes. He did the things. I mean, he was doing the things. Like every day, again, he didn't murder someone. That's good. But but these were things that were relatively within his control. Right. And I think what really moves me, Bobby, is the idea that this is not just, this wasn't just Jesus asking him to do one hard thing. Sell all your possessions and that will be the thing. It's that the fact that once you don't have possessions. Yes you are vulnerable all the time. Then you drop into this other community because you have no other choice. Like it's almost like the, what is that Harry Potter thing? Like through the nine, nine and a half, gate nine and a half, the train. You don't know Harry Potter. Okay, your kids are too young. But like you can't even see the doorway into the kingdom unless you have the faith that it's there and you run into the wall. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's not the one act of selling possessions. It's right. that that fundamentally changes your vulnerability yes. all the time. Which opens up a whole different way of life. Which opens up a whole different way of life. Yeah. Ooh. <laughs> That's good stuff, Bobby, but it is, it is yeah, convicting, as you said. That is yes. no joke. That is no joke. Next week, we are still in Mark chapter 10. Picking up in the next verse. Yeah. 32 to 52. My favorite thing about that text is the guy's name is Bar Timaeus. 
And you see so, how I carefully didn't say his name. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so Mark says Bartimaeus, the son of Timaeus, but Bartimaeus means son of Timaeus. So Mark says, this is the son of Timaeus, the son of Timaeus. And it just makes me laugh every time. <laughs> That's it's good. like saying this is Williamson, the son of William. Mm-hmm. Good. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah. We're going to read That's probably here. not the most important thing. I'm glad I got that out of the way this week so I don't have to say it next week. <laughs> I don't know. I might have to say it next week. I will laugh. I always laugh about it every time I read it. So I, I will undoubtedly say something. Well, thank you for a good and challenging conversation today, Bobby. Yeah, you too. I'll see you again next time. Okay. See ya. Bye. Thanks for joining us for this week's episode of Bible Worm. If you've enjoyed this free podcast, we hope you'll help us keep it going by joining our Patreon for as little as $4 per month. You can also sign up for other goodies like early access, video lectures, weekly liturgies, and more. Visit patreon.com slash Podcast for details. Bible Worm is produced and edited by Bobby Williamson. Our theme song is sung by Colin Bagby, and our theme music is The World at Large by Dano Songs. Many thanks to all of our Patreon supporters for helping make this podcast possible. Next week, we pick up on the very next verse, Mark chapter 10, verse 32, and continue through the end of the chapter. Until then, keep on digging.